Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I recorded this conversation with Kelsey Crow live on video, and we left some of the funny parts in where we're talking about our lighting, because you can tell that there's a real friendship between the two of us, and I thought it was kind of fun to listen to. It's cute. Dr. Kelsey Croak, she never toots her horn that way, is an award-winning author. You may have seen Elizabeth Gilbert share one of her books. Um, there is no good card for this. What to do and say when life is scary, awful, and unfair to the people that you love. I kind of feel like everybody needs to go buy this book again with all, all these losses that we've been incurring this year to, due to COVID. And... Uh, Emily McDowell, who's a phenomenal um, illustrator, did all the illustrations for the book. But Kelsey is really somebody who thinks about empathy. She has a nonprofit called Help Each Other Out, which makes human connection in times of suffering easier. She also has a new project called the Empathy Boot Camp, which I highly recommend you check out. She's also a master listener, and she's a huge champion of Sidewalk Talk. She loves what we're up to. But she's a smarty pants. She's also a good friend, and she really lives her values. So sit back, listen up, and take notes because she has all these gems that you're going to want to write down. We're already we're already live, Miss Kelsey. Hello, hello. I'm live, trying to work on my lighting so we can see your beautiful face. That's right. It's so nice Hi. to see your face. Good to see your face. I love the matching glasses with the outfit or, you know, oh, the same palette. Yes. I don't, I don't feel all fancy because I try to wear the same outfit all week long so that I don't have to check, pick clothes out. It's just yep. too much cognitive it's what load. what the tech CEOs to... do. Yes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're so friendly. We already got three people watching, which is kind of fun. Um, we're Hi. so friendly that it can be really easy for us to gab like 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 fun girls, which we're just going to do anyway. But um, I want to can I toot your horn a little bit? I know you hate that stuff. <laughs> Please so, do. All right. Well, I really do feel like everybody should go out and buy your book Thank again you. because I feel like do right I have now a copy of it. I you do. have a copy of it. And I'm not trying to push books on people, but look, here's the thing. It's called, there's no good card for this. And what I love about this book, Kelsey, is I feel like you'd think that as a therapist, I would know how to respond to people when they're having a difficult time, but I get so anxious. And this book is so beautiful because it tells people exactly, oh, we have someone says, you gals are too cute, mm -hmm. um, exactly what to do when somebody's having a difficult time without getting all squidgy and uncomfortable and awkward and how to, I don't know, it just gave me courage to show up better. Well, courage. that's nice of you to say, and it definitely actually was written for people who aren't therapists. 
You know, I think I know, but even therapists right? can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I do it better with my clients, but it's somehow more vulnerable when it's somebody that you really are close to. It's true. It's true. Well, actually, I have in there, um, as I do in my workshops, a non non listening styles, and one of them is called the epidemiologist, the person who asks mm-hmm. a lot of fact finding questions. Yeah. And therapists can tend to do that with their friends, as if they're trying to put together a clinical assessment, and it just doesn't feel good for friends. So, yeah. yeah. You, you do see that. a lot of head nod recognition yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when therapists are in the, in the room. So give everyone the background on you. I know this is where you get embarrassed, but tell them what your degrees are in and what you study and what you're working on right now, too. Sure. Uh, so I have a Ph.D. in social work uh, from UC Berkeley. Go Bears. And uh, actually, that emphasis was in community organizing and community development and local politics. But I realized in my own struggle to connect with somebody who was going through breast cancer, who I knew, but wasn't that close to anymore, you know, that typical kind of gray space, you don't know if you should reach out. Uh, I wanted a manual for myself, and I thought others would too, and then embarked on this way longer than I expected journey to get this book out with Emily McDowell, who does the empathy cards. And uh, I also realized that I wanted to do this work full time and then do workshops around this work. And I'm now looking to support larger institutions and helping them to do empathy related work. And it's all about offering very practical tips for people who don't want to become a therapist just to talk with a good friend or don't want to have to be somebody they're not. So my work is really premised around tapping into people's existing strengths and giving people Mm -hmm. stretch goals if they want them. But it's about trusting in who you are and what you already know how to do. Um, And that's, as you said, I'm glad you said that it gave you confidence because that is the point of the book is not to turn you into somebody who's a mindfulness person or a open-hearted person if that's not how you live your life. Um, So. Yeah. I love that distinction. It's like you get to just show up. Yeah. And you don't have to lean away from people. Yeah. Not, yeah. You're not this kind of personality and you're not floating on a cloud somewhere. Yeah. And so I wanted to get a sense from you. So first of all, I'm going to just come with total humility and not pretend that I do any sort of listening or therapisty stuff. I want to learn from you what you've studied and researched about empathy and hopefully that the rest of us can learn something new that we didn't know before. So I first want to ask you, what is the thing that shocked you the most that you didn't know? Well, you know, my shtick when I do talks or whatever is that I'm a Sagittarius from Brooklyn (laughs) and that, you know, we tend to not be the most like empathic sign. You know, we tend to be kind of know-it-alls and very blunt and, uh, I like you. (laughs) And in a lot of contexts, you know, that can be kind of a fun energy and it shows engagement. And I was really shocked in my research, which was survey research with open ended questions asking people what helped you through your difficult time. I was shocked to learn how much people don't want your opinion. (laughs) So I really, you know, just kept like banging my head against the table after I read finding after finding. And I did so many interviews and people's idea of help was 
often distilled down to just showing up. And I thought, well, how can you write a book about showing up? Like, what is that? Surely there's things you can do and there's ways to fix this and somebody really fix things for you. It's really what I was looking for. I was looking for kind of like an algorithm that you plug and play um, to help people. And so you talk about humility. Like I came at this again with a background in community organizing, local politics, coalition building power, blah, 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 blah. And this just being such a, a humble form of value that you are present with somebody else was really hard for me to take in. And I eventually did. And it's the, you know, you always know your research is really right when it proves you wrong. <laughs> so that, that's what I, that was my biggest takeaway. I love that, that there's this way in which we want to feel of use. And yeah, it's, it's really the presence that's the most useful, which, you know, of course, in all of your work that you're doing, you're in sidewalk talk, you're encountering people with tremendous problems sometimes. And as a listener, you can feel like you have to fix them all. You can't just hear them. And yet the value of hearing um, someone else truly hearing. Uh, can cannot be underestimated. Well, can will you teach us some stuff? Like sure. What are, you, what are you going into these fancy organizations and teaching them? Because I'm well, I'm I have that. you know like Kelsey's <laughs> rules for idiots everywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and it's my three three rules, and one is to stop talking. And that sounds so basic, <laughs> but we truly believe that we are listening when we're doing a lot of the talking. So to really be aware, how much was I talking in that conversation? And I always feel self-conscious going over these because I'm literally talking. Um, while you're telling us yeah, to stop you know, Like I need to talk <laughs> to tell you this. So to stop talking. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is to not think about how you're going to respond. Instinctively, someone shares a vulnerable situation and our problem solving mode comes into full throttle. And we think of somebody we can introduce them to some experience that we had in the past that we can relate with uh, some way to fix their problem. And we start just waiting for them to finish so that we can say what we want to say. Mm -hmm. And I understand this dynamic in a situation where problem solving is being called for. And of course, we need to learn to listen in all environments. But in number of environments that we're in, problem solving is how we gain value. That's how we feel good. And that's how others feel good about us. But in this context of listening in a time of vulnerability, to not think about how you're going to respond uh, as a kind of preoccupation is really, really important. Uh, there's this area of research called next in line effect, which studies how our anxiety around performance can inhibit our recall. And it's the same with listening. If we are mm -hmm. thinking about how we're going to respond, we aren't truly taking in what somebody's feeling. So the first rule is stop talking. Second is to stop thinking about how you're going to respond. And then my third is the third three second rule, which is wait three seconds before 
you respond. And I don't mean New York seconds. I'm like Mississippi, one Mississippi, two (laughs) Mississippi, three Mississippi. And it can seem like a lifetime when you're not used to it. I know this as a chronic interrupter. Um, But I have practiced this and my relationships have benefited from this so much because what winds up happening is you're not giving unsolicited fix-its and someone else, person talking, winds up sharing something even deeper, you know? And when people are talking, they don't only want to be validated. Sometimes it's actually an opportunity for them to understand and build their experience in the course of telling it and providing people the space to do that is mm. is tremendous. In my workshops, as many kind of workshops that have listening do, and you probably do this in some format, we have dyads and each people listens to another person for two minutes. And of course, everyone's sitting on their hands trying not to talk, right? Because the instruction is you can't talk while the other person's talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when you ask for, you know, feedback about that exercise, of course, people say, oh, it was awkward. It was a little weird. But then you kind of get through that. And you're, so what else? And invariably, what people describe is how the talker wound up getting deeper. They first mm-hmm. talked about fairly su- superfluous things, and then talked about more meaningful things. And it became a richer connection. And that is really important, especially when we are so not accustomed to giving space in the form of silence to others. Uh, We think it makes us seem dumb or uninterested, but there's a way that we can be silent and show our engagement Mm -hmm. and just our body language. Um, That is really important. So those three rules are don't think about um, how you're going to respond. Stop talking. And three seconds. So I now understand why I feel the way I do around you. You use the three. You have used the three second rule a couple times. I think we met at Morning Dew one time. I was struggling with something, and you just—I remember distinctly. I'm like, gosh. Oh wow! I, I oh. noticed it. Okay, you, yeah, you I do use it. I do. I mean, I know you do. Yeah. And it, you know what it felt like to me? It felt caring. It felt respectful, though. It yeah. felt like you respected me. As I think back on it, I didn't feel um, patronized because you didn't jump in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, no, I'm pretending to do the three seconds now, but... Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, you talked about presence, and, and these are some of the, the ingredients, but you said, you know, it's hard for people. Why is it hard for us to, to not be useful? Why is it hard for us to not jump in? Mm. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you said, you know, why is it hard for us not to be useful? And, of course, I know what you meant by that, um, which is that we feel like we're not useful. Um, uh, I did an interview with one woman whose child has... Tr- awful, awful health conditions. And she said, you know, people think that by listening, they aren't contributing to the conversation. When in fact, listening is the biggest gift that I can receive. 
And I recognize that we find that listening is unproductive, that it's not useful when it is so useful. Mm -hmm. So our definition of what is useful has to expand to include presence and attention. Attention is useful. Attention not only in conversation, but to what we're reading, what we're writing, Mm -hmm. uh, what we're doing. So um, the value of attention is cannot is 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 high. However, in our sort of modern day society, where we often value quantity (laughs) of production, right? Quantity of consumption over quality over um, stillness. we are we are challenged culturally to value presence. We have notions that lurk in the back of our minds that to not be constantly active and busy, that the opposite of that is then being lazy, unengaged. And that's not true necessarily. <laughs> um, it can we can value a relaxed state of mind that offers presence um, for what it is, which is attention. And that's valuable. I want to just repeat that. So everyone, ah, there's just something getting deeper in my bones. Attention is useful. Presence is valuable. I think I want to say that like 10,000 times. <laughs> it's true. I mean, when you've sat even, you know, yeah. I mean, we've all experienced that attention. Yeah. And the people that we remember in our lives are often yeah. the people that gave us quality attention. Right. It's so true. So true. That's not the same as fretting, hovering. Uh, smothering (laughs) because that is a kind of anxious attention that's more about the giver um i think that's a really cool distinction too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not about smothering that isn't the that isn't an attention that's giving to the person it's no yeah for you as the listener yeah 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 Mm -hmm. if we're giving to get right that whole thing if we're giving to get uh, that's a whole other thing that doesn't feel like quality attention. That feels like someone's trying to obligate you to them, you know, make you feel indebted to them, uh, enhance their self-worth with your appreciation of them, you know, all of that. Um, yeah, I was so, talking about that recently that we can engage. I said, you know, we've got to be careful with sidewalk talk. Mm-hmm. Trying to feel like a good enough person. Like yeah. Sitting out there. Oh, gosh. Me, yeah. I, I go sit on sidewalks and listen to people. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is a different practice here. And it's bringing that to mind. Mm. Because it does take away from the, 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 for me, my experience is it takes away from fullness of the connection. If my needing of validation is in the mix. Mm. Mm. 
You know, I have also, um, yeah, it's in the book too. Um, this idea of also learning to live with our empathy mistakes. So, you know, this idea that we need validation, which we do, I get that I do. Um, sometimes our attention goes under unappreciated, right? And I'm sure on sidewalk talk, you have somebody offering this tremendous gift of attention and the person doing the talking is not really able to notice that and take that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this person can feel rejected and, and like they did something wrong, mm-hmm. uh, the listener. And so just learning that, and those aren't mistakes when you give quality attention, but it can feel like a mistake. So that sometimes it's just, sometimes it's not, what's valued in the moment, right? But that doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong. Um, and. You know, this thought is coming. You know, I do this, I contribute a story to this. Um, you know, I work with so many couples. Mm-hmm. When I work with couples, they teach me how I want to show up in my own. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah, I can. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Um. They teach me how I want to show up in my relationship. Uh And I realize that so often my gripiness or acting out with my husband is just because I want attention. And so now what I actually say to my husband is, I I, I want some attention. Mm -hmm. Whenever I feel ready to like be a jerk, I'm like, Mm -hmm. really? Is this really about the dishes? Mm -hmm. No, you just want some attention. And so now that's, that's the big joke. We oftentimes will just say that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Your undivided attention. Yeah. So I love that you're kind of giving voice to that sort of value and, and it's just making that connection for me. But here's the, here's the question. Um, I don't think that we're getting it. You work with people in workplaces. Is there a way that we as employees or even in families and actually ask for the attention that we need? I mean, do you, yeah. how do we, how do we, <laughs> how do we do that? It's so hard. Uh, it's hard both to ask for attention and having been a manager, I also know it's very, it's, you have two with, you know, um, psyched in San Francisco and is, is what is the right attention? You know, what kind mm-hmm. of attention does somebody need? Or you may feel some area of attention is needed, but the, that's not the attention the employee wants. Uh, so it is a really, really, really tricky spot. And I think just opening up conversations by saying, how can I help you? And he, you know, be, which we forget to ask. Managers mm-hmm. forget to ask all the time. How can I help you? We just say, what do you need done? You know, when is this, do- when, when can you get this done by? Um, so just asking, how can I help you as the beginning of a check-in is very valuable. And then also when then you can say, and what I need, mm-hmm. you've already established a supportive relationship. But if it's only this is what I need, this is what I need as a manager, then an employee starts to feel exploited rather than supported. 
Uh, it's a huge difference. This is something that people could write down and then just become habitual about starting yeah. conversations with how can I help you? Yeah. I really, yeah. I really like this. I like this. Teach us more stuff that you go teach the fancy big companies. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, you know, not so many big companies. I also really then believe sometimes, especially, you know, it's it's funny, like in medicine, as well as in, say, tech, you have people who are highly analytical and who are employed to fix things and solve things. And so this idea of presence and listening is very counterintuitive to everything that they've been taught is of value. And to the most, most part, that's true. And when working with people, you're not just doing production management or, you know, biological management, you're doing feelings management. That's the reality. So recognizing and accept that and accepting that requires a new set of skills and tools. And that is why I like to keep my rules extremely simple. I feel that some listening practices, for example, uh, where you sort of under, you know, you examine and identifying underlying needs and wants in a statement, which I think is a wonderful practice, can be very intimidating for someone who just isn't a listener in the first place, honestly, is just not that interested (laughs) in people's feelings, you know? So, Like getting people to just start with baby steps, mm-hmm. learn to just how to ask the question and listen yeah. to the answer, just that basic and start to notice and recognize the value in that, that you have never been trained to see before. Um, so that's for me, very imp- important when working with people who are not therapists. And then second to that, you know, in addition to those basic, basic relational skills is the value of gestures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this was another piece of my research that came across that I had no idea about. I really, you know, I was quite feelings, touchy, feely adverse. I, in my community organizing degree in social work, had one, you know, one sort of internship where I had one client. They were like, you should really just try a little therapy. And I said, you know, I just find it pretty boring. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to do it anymore. And I, so going from that to this, <laughs> I really get it. Like, it's just not what feeds some people. It exhausts some people. And if they feel that anybody who's having some difficult time, whether it's in their personal life or in their relationship with a colleague or struggling with a project, if they feel they always have to engage emotionally around that, they might want to avoid it because it's just not what feeds them. It's too hard. It's not their personality. So learning gestures that can also be of importance. In my research, so many people describe small gifts that meant a big deal. And so, for example, if you have an employee who's going through something personal and you may not want to call them and ask them how they're feeling about it, just sending them something is really sweet. Uh, flowers or whatever it is that means something to you, you can send to them. Mm-hmm. Also, if they're having a struggle with a work product and you know that 
there's a lot of emotion for that employee around it, but you're not the one to kind of counsel them through it. At the very least, to recognize, I know this is hard, you can do it with a donut left on the desk. Boom. Just showing that you are paying attention, you notice, and you have faith in the person. Mm -hmm. Um, But not everything requires like a drawn out deep conversation. And I think that's so important for engineers and, and especially to, to really know that. Um, and we need to figure out more and more ways to display emotional intelligence that's beyond just how we talk to people, um, mm. other ways that we demonstrate our attention. I love that. You know, it's, it's timely because we're trying to instigate people during this quarantine time and for Mental Health Awareness Month to engage in what we're calling random acts of connection. Mm, oh, right. I like that. Yes. You know, and one of my girlfriends was doing this thing with her teenage daughter. She was um, just coloring colored paper hearts and mailing them to people with no uh-huh. words on them, which I thought was really sweet. And, um, I, you know, I made a buddy here in Heidelberg and we're going to go hand out ice cream together with a little note that said, you know, I've missed you. You know, just to, we're going to actually, the goal is to do it with car, people in cars. So well, then you're going to toss them an ice yes. cream stick. Yeah, random ways. I love it. See you, right? Yeah, yes. Ah, I think that's terrific. I really do. Yeah, yeah. And when I was in tech, it's funny because one of the things that I used to do, especially when I needed to engage with the engineers, is I would call up my friend Austin and say, "Hey, can I use your office next Thursday?" He's like, "Okay," and I would show up because he was near the engineering pool and I needed something from them. So it was a little manipulative, but it was also appreciative. No one ever did this. They would just call him up and command that they fix some tech problem. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right, I, right, I, right, right. I would show up with a plate of bagels and coffee. <laughs> there you and go. Hang, and hang out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I say, mm-hmm. I'm going to be in that office over there all day today. So come pop in. Right, right. Right. Which was which was really great. It was yeah. like yeah, it was just made a difference. It made a difference. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, there was a question that I was gonna ask. Well, first I want to repeat something because I'm gonna look everyone in the eyes. Where's the kid? I wanna look you nice. Did you love what she said when she said part of your job description as a leader is you're a feelings manager? I just had to say that. Because <laughs> I, I, I know that now that I lead a lot. I want to kick and scream and pretend like that's not the case. I'm like, I already do this for psychotherapy clients. But I got to be honest, the people that I lead are sometimes my. Today, every person on my operations team was my feelings manager. Mm. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, if they're, yeah. if they're watching this, they're going to be like, you don't manage anyone's feelings. We managed all your damn feelings today. What are you talking right, about? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> You're leading by example. We can all be vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, they, they know that. They know that you can be vulnerable. So, um, you and I had a conversation a while back because I was asking you, I said, what are you working on next? Do you care to, to talk a little bit about yeah, some of the stuff yeah. you've been doing? Because I was well, kind of... I've been been, um, straddling two things. So I did a bunch of research on families with political differences. And I've been writing up some peer reviewed articles about that and looking at the difference between, you know, empathy, you know, in families, there's a lot of members that have already do have quite a bit of empathy for their family member that has different political beliefs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
um, trying to tease out the difference between like empathy and just belief systems. Mm. Um, and you know, to what, so anyway, so I'm doing that kind of work, which has been really fun. And then also building educations, uh, like train the trainer kind of stuff so that I can train other people to work with government and education employees around empathy. I've been interviewing a lot of educators along with some other people to tease out some really valuable themes that teachers, administrators, counselors as an ecosystem of providers in that space can use regarding empathy, not directed at kids, but for each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and I decided to do that because I did a couple of workshops um, just on the, you know, just people like my daughter's school and this group, uh, Educators for Diverse Democracy, asked for me to do it. And I did thinking I, you know, it doesn't address kids. And in both settings, they said how much they talk about empathy for the children, but not for each other. Wow. And with such a kind of a need to figure out how to make the school environment for adults easier. Uh, and uh -huh. rates of burnout in the education field are super high. And uh, yeah. I realized that that's an area that I want to continue to develop and explore in. So, mm -hmm. so I've been actually not doing, you know, I had a bunch of workshops for the spring. Uh, some universities were who study communication and empathy wanted to study my workshop for its impact, which is wonderful. But those were all shut down. Um, so I'm sort of using, and I'm, I don't know if you, I'm really staying low, no social media, very little uh, external presence so that I can really develop these tools more. Um, mm. And that's, that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. Well, it makes me more appreciative that you're here with us. Oh, yes. I mean, you Nothing know, this is terrific. Media. This is nice. This is, <laughs> that's, that's my, this is the way I get to wrap up my, my Friday. So it, it feels like uh, I'm just uh, having fun with a friend, really. How's um, Sidewalk Talk going in, in where, are you doing one in, in a chapter in Germany? You are, right? Isn't there a chapter? Well, I mean, trying, you've got them all over the world, but like, how are you? I'm trying to. You know what? I was really a shitty leader when I started the chapter because I thought I could just recreate what I did in San Francisco here. Oh, interesting. And, uh -huh. and I actually had a to learn a lot about, oh, I guess the community was kind of already formed in San Francisco and we've been doing it so many years. I also have some real anxiety about not speaking German. Yeah. So it, 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 it really shuts me down. So mm. I have some work to do. And then, and then we went out three times. Then we had to take a break because it was free, easy, cold. Mm. Yeah, and that then... too. Where you're like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no more sidewalk like, talks in February. There was one night where I felt like I couldn't move my lips. I'm like, oh my God, this is well, Maybe that's healthy. a good thing. No. <laughs> I'm not going to flip you the bird right now. Say that, but if, if we weren't on live, you know that I would. Um, yeah. So I had a lot to learn about leadership and um, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Dina. There's and I meant that just for, like, for listening, not for you, but just as no, listeners. Yeah, no, it's, it's not good to be cold because you can't really listen. No, you so can't focus. On your, no, exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't, but you know what? I've partnered with, um, somebody here in Heidelberg and we're also taking on another loneliness initiative that I'm not going to announce here, but we can talk about it offline. That's been really fun. So we're building, building, taking 
some of the things that I've learned from Sidewalk Talk. And in a way, Sidewalk Talk would be the first customer of the thing that we're building. Oh, I am really, really curious to hear about that. Yes, we will definitely. It'll be up your alley because it's very researchy, think tanky, incubatory-like kind of stuff. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure right now, I guess operations have shut down a bit in the States anyway, because of the virus. Is that right? Yeah, here too. Uh, and but yet, you know what? we've moved everything mm-hmm. online. We're listening uh-huh. online. Okay. Which is, which is different because it's self-selecting. Mm-hmm. What I always loved about the sidewalk is that it was an opportunity to reach across diverse communities Yes, and have cross-cultural connections, cross-gender connections, cross-identity connections that you would normally make when you're self-selecting to an online group. Right, so, right, right. Um, I liked the also the shock and awe that people had when they were mm. in their head doing that productivity thing that you were talking mm. about earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, Wait a minute, you're just going to give me your attention. Hey, I had one more question I want to ask you just from a teaching perspective before I let you go. Conflict. Mm. Isn't it harder to listen during conflict? Yeah, yeah. What have you? What do you have? What are some gems to help us stop oh, talking and not think how we're going to respond in the three second roll during conflict? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, you know, some of this I feel like is cultural. You know, like, and I don't know how to get around it. New Yorkers, and I think some parts of the world, are more comfortable with conflict in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, I disagree, and that shows that you're engaged and that you're talking. You've said this too, that at least somebody's leaning into the conversation, right? Instead of mm-hmm. like pulling out and pretending that nothing's happening or that. So um, I think just naming the conflict and try and try to the extent possible, just stressing this isn't personal. This is just a difference of opinion and stating what you want and saying, and I want to understand what you want, like, mm-hmm. right, really trying to get down to what we want. Uh, and not how things should be. Uh, and I think that is essentially it. Um, and then figuring out how to either, how to get what you both want a little bit, that whole, you know, getting to yes kind of thing. Um, or taking turns, get what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of of compromise. What is Gottman says 69% of marital problems are not resolvable. Right, right, right. That's a pretty high ratio. Hey, for those of you that are watching, um, anyone have a question that you want to ask Kelsey before we come come into our closing question? Now is your chance. And Kelsey, while we're waiting for a few of those coming in, um, anything that you can, don't forget to go. Everybody needs to buy this book. Look at these, look at Emily's illustrations. They're like amazing. She, how did you you meet her? Huh? How did you meet Emily? Oh, so Emily McDowell, she has a company, emilymcdowell.com. Emily McDowell and Friends is her company. And um, she does a lot of greeting cards and many other things. And a friend of mine uh, runs a greeting card business in San Francisco and was at a trade show with Emily. And she said, you're texting me, you know, you never believe who's here because of the work that I do and the book that I've been wanting to get do. And uh, that that was that. So that was how you, no kidding. Oh, I thought, yeah. I thought maybe you went to college together or I thought maybe you went to college. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, no, no. But we do have a lot of, you know, overlapping people. As it turns out, we all, everyone often does, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was uh, actually saw, I think I saw it before you posted it when Elizabeth Gilbert shared your book on her Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Instagram feed. That was pretty cool. Oh, she was, she was wonderful. Yes. That was so, so generous of her to do that. Yeah. That was very nice. Well, so your book is going to help folks respond better to people that are having their own unique personal reaction to COVID. And I'm wondering... Very specifically, and this will be the last question before our closing ritual. We have a closing ritual. Um, is there something in particular that you've noticed people maybe could shift or do a little differently based on what you've studied? Because people have different reactions to how people are dealing with COVID. Yeah. Any thoughts around how they could show up a little differently and be a little more supportive? Depends on the level of uh, effect COVID is having on us. If you have lost someone... If you've lost your job, you are drowning right now and you are feeling isolated. So I really wouldn't recommend that you think about how to help others right now. More how to get help, which I don't normally advertise because I want others to just come up and help you. But right now, figuring out how to get help. Um, But for others of us that are less directly impacted, still noticing the toll that uncertainty has on our ability to feel for other people and to see things from other people's perspective. Uh, This level of stress from uncertainty affects various regions of the brain that really help us empathize. And we have to acknowledge that those are scrambled a little bit right now. And we will not be at our best in terms of being patient with somebody else, understanding somebody else, uh, even caring for somebody else, um, because we have a little bit of fatigue. And so naming that you're tired, naming those things, uh, and then saying, but I want to empathize anyway. So just recognizing that. And then secondly, in my world where you can go outside and see strangers, see the UPS worker, whomever on zoom, I'm making an extra effort to say, to be more demonstrative in my hellos and in my thank yous um, and asking people who I don't know, but who I rarely, but sometimes encounter, how's this going for you today? Um, Because we all are lacking connection. And so trying to make the most of connection whenever those opportunities avail themselves. And because of the masks that we're wearing, because of the kind of inward stance that many of us are taking, we have to just push through that literally a little harder with, you know, more animation um, than might feel comfortable. So um, I love that this, this, this fits the random acts of connection. It's like, Pushing connection in wherever you can cr- get it into the cracks. I also love mm-hmm. that if you if you are overwhelmed, flooded, lost someone, lost a job, it's not your job to go empathize right now. Go get some empathy. So I love that. Yes. I love yeah. that reminder. Um, I'm going to piss off our operations person to say that we just designed some sidewalk talk face masks today. What? Let's see it. 
I can't show you have right one? now. No, but I can tell you what it's going to have. It's going to say, this is thank you to Carrie Moore from our New York chapter team who gave me this idea. It's going to say, I'm smiling at you in 10 different languages. <gasps> oh, that's so cool. I love that. Isn't that You're cute? Sell them, right? Smile. That's uh-huh. a fundraiser. Okay, awesome. Oh, great. Yeah, I told Claire, I said, I want to do it for May because it's our it's our big fundraising month anyway. She goes, Tracy, we're doing too many programs right now. I said, people need masks right now. And this right? is such a good idea. I just idea. ordered I think... random masks, you know? I, know. I would love to buy your masks. Right. And I'm losing right? them. So we need, you know, and this is Everyone's going to need them. And who doesn't want a mask? It says it, says it in uh, Mandarin, in Malay, in French. Italian, Chinese. Oh, that's brilliant. That's all brilliant. the languages. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, and there's somebody else who said, I want a face mask too. So right? Cool. Yeah. listener in Arizona. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, so we have a ritual for how we close. I just, oh, more. I want these masks. Claire, I'm sorry. We're going to do it. <laughs> and you know what's really cool? I hired a graphics person. I specifically looked for someone that was on quarantine. So our designer is Italian. Oh, fantastic. So the designer who's done all of our Mental Health Awareness Month designs is on quarantine in Italy. So oh. he's he's just kind of put his heart and soul into all the graphics for this month, which is a really mm. sweet backstory. You can't do yeah, better yeah. than an Italian designer. Yes. I, right? <laughs> so, sweet. Um, so I'm going to get out of the way. And the, to the people that are watching live, the people that are going to listen in later, what words of wisdom or what wish do you want to speak directly to Sidewalk Talk listeners? Hmm. I wish for you at this time that you not feel alone in any struggles that you have. Uh, that's what I wish. Beautiful. Mm, Tracy, I, I, I love knowing you. Oh, likewise. Thank you. This has been such a beautiful conversation as they always are. And for your incredible work that you put in the world, it's, it's wonderful. And I can't wait to yeah. buy that and <laughs> support in other ways. We need, you know, sidewalk needs money. I always say that. <laughs> Thank so, you. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye, you. everyone. Bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from, and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.